New York City is one of the areas hardest hit by the coronavirus with close to 1,000 deaths. In accordance with the latest guidance from the CDC, I issued an executive order requiring anyone entering the state of Oklahoma from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, California, Louisiana, or the state of Washington to self-quarantine for 14 days. We know that our number of COVID-19 cases will continue to rise as we increase testing and as the virus continues to spread. Hi, I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast exploring the impact the coronavirus is having on our state. Today is Tuesday, March 31st. It can be extremely difficult to stay on top of the COVID-19 news with so much information coming at you, sometimes changing by the hour. The Frontier has devoted our attention to the coronavirus for weeks, and you can find that coverage at readfrontier.org. But we get it. It's not always easy to keep up with all the news coming at you, which is why we launched this podcast 10 days ago, featuring interviews and conversations that we hope help you make sense of what's going on here in Oklahoma. If you found this podcast or the Frontier's coverage to be a valuable resource during this pandemic, I'd invite you to consider making a donation. We're a nonprofit news organization that relies on reader support. This is a tough time for journalism, but we believe it's more important than ever. Our content is free and we don't charge subscriptions, but if you were to make a recurring donation of even $5 or $10 a month, that would go a long way in helping to sustain the work we're doing. If you're already a donor, then I want to say thank you for making this work possible. Hey, Ben. Hello, Cassie. How's it going? It's going good, Ben. How are you? I'm good. You know, it dawned on me today that I always introduce myself in the intro to this podcast, and those that have been listening every day or most days are well aware who you are. But for new listeners, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself so people know which Cassie they're hearing. Sure. Uh, my name's Cassie McClung. I'm a reporter with the Frontier, and um, I mainly write about health and healthcare. Yeah, especially the last few weeks, huh? Yeah, <laughs> especially the last few weeks. So, Cassie, let's start as we often do. What were the latest mo- uh, numbers that we learned from the Department of Health on Monday? Sure. So, um, slight increase. I think uh, just a little over fifty. Um, There are 481 known cases of COVID-19 in the state, 153 people hospitalized, and 17 deaths. And I don't usually give a lot of context on what's going on with the deaths, um, but, you know, since we are seeing the number rise, at least it seems for the past week, we see at least one death every day. Um, So the patients have been spread across the state, but... The county with the most is Cleveland County, and that's where Norman is. And we know at least two of those deaths were at a nursing home there. And, you know, it's kind of, I haven't heard an update from them in a couple of days, but I've reached out to see if any more of those are connected. But, you know, we know we've been seeing across the country a lot of talk about vulnerable populations in nursing homes. So yeah. that's definitely a spot to watch. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, we heard in today's intro to, the epi- to this episode that, Governor Kevin Stitt said he was asking all Oklahomans who are coming from kind of known hotspots to self-quarantine, That's especially the, the New York area. You know, he also mm-hmm. said that he was ordering all delivery personnel to submit to screenings when entering healthcare facilities. And that that includes getting your temperature taken. And it just made me think a little bit, is that 
maybe kind of a window into maybe what's coming to be, what's going to be our new reality. We don't have to get too much into this because who knows how this is going to end and what's going to look like. But I often right. do think about what does post-coronavirus look like if there ever is such a place. And, you know, one thing mm -hmm. I, I think about is when we, when people are getting itch, we're itching to get reopened and transition back to normalcy of some kind, are we going to be willing to kind of adhere to some practices? Like maybe government buildings are going to be checking temperature, maybe schools. Mm -hmm. I've not heard that at all. I mean, beyond that i'm just kind of theorizing right now but um that is now taking place at, at healthcare facilities yeah. with, with outsiders coming in i just wonder if that's going to be kind of a future reality for us now that's a great point to bring up because actually today um ou medicine did a live q a with one of their infectious disease doctors and one of the questions that came in from i think it was just a reader someone you know who's keeping up with covid 19 is worried about themselves and their family they were like when is this going to end? When are we going to go back to normal? And the doctor, you know, he was just like, well, there's going to be a new normal. Yeah. And he, he said, this is going to change things. So I think it is realistic to think that, you know, our daily lives are going to change and maybe we'll start seeing procedures like that, you know, having to check your temperature before you go into a building or a hospital having to get your temperature taken. So, you know, we might see things like that popping up more often as I guess this um, virus continues to spread. Yeah. And, and, and some of these things may be kind of hard to believe society in general would accept, but I would just wonder if our, if our level of acceptance will change, especially after being quarantined for weeks, if not months, if, uh, if Americans are gonna be like, you know what, that's a small price to pay if it kind of gets us moving towards normalcy. And it's not like this is just going to end one day, right? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. the, the expectation is we'll see a peak, we'll see a decline, and maybe we start to transition, but there's still going to be that fear um, that it could come back. And I, we'll save that for a podcast in December, I'm sure we'll, if we're still right. doing this daily podcast back then, yeah. but so we can kind of save much of that for then. But just, it was just something I was thinking about as he, as he kind of talked about that. And I know around the governor and himself, I was talking to some people who are part of his task force. I mean, they're going through screenings when they come into the building, the facility. So this is already taking place in some high level places. I just wonder if we're going to see this more and more, um, in other public spaces. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It's hard to, you know, like you were saying, it's hard to speculate, but it seems like the way, you know, we're moving there, I think we're going to see some changes. And I think they're, you know, the doctor, like I was talking about today, he said, we're gonna have a new normal, but things are going to, you know, kind of go back to the new normal, I guess. And he, he said it was going to happen pretty slowly. So, yeah. Well, uh, something else that I did announce in the video they put out is he said he was working with the Corps of Engineers to consider 10 sites that could be converted into alternative care facilities. And he said that he's asking hospitals to develop a plan to increase ICU beds by at least 40%. And uh, listeners of yesterday's episode, when we had uh, Dr. Casey Shrum, who's the Secretary of Science and Innovation, along with Deputy Secretary of Science and Innovation, Elizabeth Pollard, may remember that uh, Dr. Shrum said that, listen, we're, whatever the peak ends up being, we know that it's mm -hmm. gonna exhaust the number of beds we have in hospitals now. She said that may mean we have to go off site. It may mean we have to uh, get a little creative in, in hospital facilities as they are now. But more and more we're hearing that it's likely we're going to go past our capacity, uh, at least on ICU beds, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, you know, like Dr. Shrum was talking about, 
you know, when we talked to her last night about either hospitals and I see some hospitals in Oklahoma city already doing this, you know, kind of putting up tents, um, in anticipation of influx of patients. Like, and I, I might've already mentioned this, but you know, they have rooms, they have different tents, you know, they have one that's just supposed to be a lounge and tent that just serves as triage. They have temporary bathrooms. And then, uh, governor Stitt a couple weeks ago said, if, Hospitals, you know, we actually need to establish new sites and expand on the uh, facilities we already have. You know, he's been looking at rural hospitals that have been shuttered, um, fairgrounds, just places like that. So it's it's possible. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, as we see, we've been talking about modeling a lot, you know, as they start getting a clear picture of what Oklahoma's peak is going to look like whether they're going to start taking more action on that. Yeah. And and speaking of modeling, uh, this episode is coming out Tuesday and we expect that the governor is possibly going to announce some updates to the state's modeling. We know that he's asked uh, different groups, including the department of health, OU and OSU. Uh, They spent a lot of time over the weekend kind of trying to come up with, in his words, a more perfect model for Oklahoma. And we expect to, to see those details here pretty soon. And that's something that Dr. Shrum, you know, talked about this, this, uh, on the last, on last yesterday's episode as well. Um, mm-hmm. what are we watching for in the modeling? I mean, what is this going to, to show us or what are we looking for in this? Right. That's a, a great question. So I've been talking with experts about this, um, this week, especially today. And one thing they keep bringing up is, you know, not only is it going to, kind of steer the state's response, you know, because I guess the peak, how big that peak's going to be kind of determines, you know, how much the state needs to gear up, I guess, you know, how many ICU beds are needed, ventilators, um, a lot of that hospital equipment. And so one thing that experts keep bringing up is that when the model does become public, it's important to note that, you know, it's kind of a forecast, but it is pretty fluid. So it can change. Mm -hmm. It's not like a set in stone model. So as the state gets more data to put into its calculations, to kind of model where this peak is going to be, that could change. Um, So this is something to keep in mind. But they're considering things like Oklahoma's health outcomes, how healthy our population is, um, how many people have tested positive, you know, where the virus is spreading, all so all kinds of stuff is going into trying to predict this peak. Yeah. And I wonder if we're going to hear from them tomorrow, whenever it happens or today or whenever it happens is, mm-hmm. are they predicting when that peak is going to be and, and when might they, they, they expect us to be on the other side of the curve. You know, I've heard in talking to some sources that with that on Monday, those groups involved in putting together the modeling, their own modeling over the weekend to kind of come together and, and, and fit them together. Um, that there's, it's quite a big range of anywhere from mid April to, to early May of, mm-hmm. of when many experts think that the peak may hit Oklahoma. Yeah, that's a pretty, I mean, I don't want to say broad range cause I guess it's about a month, but I guess it just kind of shows that, you know, I think you mentioned earlier, someone's saying it's kind of like they're approaching it like, you know, trying to predict a hurricane, right? Yeah. It just kind of depends where the course goes of this virus and, you know, how bad it gets, I guess, to kind of try to calculate where it's going to hit. 
Yeah, and that's and I heard that about uh, University of Oklahoma researchers. That was kind of the approach they took. Was um, and it makes sense. There's a lot of weather research there at the at the university that they're kind of looking at it like like you would see with a hurricane, where you see multiple paths that it could take, and you don't necessarily know which path it's going to take, but it gives you an idea. Okay, it could be one of these five. Right, and I think that just kind of shows, you know, just that there are so many potential outcomes, that just how fluid and kind of unpredictable the situation is. You know, we we had our our interview yesterday with, with Dr. Shrum and, and Deputy Secretary, Secretary Pollard, um, mm-hmm. and we ended the episode at the end of our conversation. So you and I haven't had a chance to really kind of debrief this, but uh, any, anything interesting from that interview yesterday that uh, you want to kind of bring up or, or talk about today? Yeah, I thought there was a lot that was interesting. Um, you know, I think we've been talking about testing a lot, but I really was interested in uh, Dr. Shrum's comments about the modeling. And I know we didn't get into the specifics of it too much, but I thought it was interesting to hear kind of what they're considering for that. And, you know, just kind of how Oklahoma has had limited testing and, you know, testing and how many people test positive and how many people they think are infected in the state. It seems like it has a lot to do with what predictions are made. And, you know, Dr. Shrim kind of addressed that, you know, she said that we do have limited testing data. So that's something they have to work around. Um, And then another expert I talked to today also addressed the testing shortage. And he said that, you know, while testing in the state's getting better, we could use 10 to 100 more times testing than uh, we have now. So he, you know, he said to kind of, I know I'm getting kind of off topic from yesterday's podcast, but he he was kind of saying how it was fluid and as more data comes in, that'll probably, the model will probably change. Yeah. And, and it's important to, to remember that there's really, well, there's maybe more than two, but there's, you know, there's two reasons to want to increase testing. One is, I mean, you want people who are sick to be able to know if, if they have COVID-19 so they can get the, the appropriate care and quarantine themselves if, if they're able to stay at home. But you also mm-hmm. kind of want to use it for your for the state's own data to know where are we seeing a spread and, and where where are things going? You know, one thing that's interesting to me in taking a look at the numbers is, is I think mm-hmm. Kay County now is up to 20 cases, which is actually like the, I think is tied for the third most, third or fourth, somewhere, okay. something like that. And any you know, OK County, I think, is home to about 40,000, maybe 45,000 people. So, mm-hmm. you know, not the smallest, but definitely not one of the major urban centers in the state it's home to ponca yeah. city it's home to newkirk the town i wrote about two years ago actually two weeks ago probably mm-hmm. um about their kind of i don't know if you want to say defiance but of, uh-huh. of stay-at-home orders but continuing to go about normal business it so it was interesting to me to see this county is 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 uh, you know is one of the top counties for outbreaks when you know, I don't know if it's just coincidence but i wrote about one of those communities not necessarily adhering to a stay-at-home um, order, but right. it was also early on where the state said they wanted to put one of the mobile testing sites in uh, mm-hmm. in K County, and I and that probably comes from when they're starting to see the results of those tests come in that say that say hey we're going to see a continued increase in maybe in K County in a way that we may not see in you know another county of similar size, and that seems like it's bearing out that that decision to focus on Ponca City is kind of bearing out when you see the numbers. Right. Yeah. And kind of like you, it kind of makes me wonder what's going on in K County right now. Uh, but I remember, uh, I think 
it was either Dr. Shrum or Governor Stitt said in their last press conference that these satellite, because, you know, one of the satellite testing sites is going to be in K County, mm-hmm. that, you know, they're eventually going to move that around to other corners of the state that haven't seen much testing. So I'm wondering if K County is, you know, the exception or if other counties are kind of seeing their own outbreaks that we just, I guess, just haven't been reported yet. Yeah. So obviously the data is just kind of important for as we try to forecast where things are headed and where we're going. Mm -hmm. But we keep hearing from um, health officials that obviously the numbers are going to keep going. We haven't hit the peak yet. Um, That we probably have a lot more cases than we realize and that whatever the peak is, it's likely to really stretch our resources pretty thin. Um, and that's what we're seeing all over the country, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, so the numbers have been steadily going up the past few days. I guess just I guess they've just been going up for the past few weeks, but the OU doctor today, you know, kind of back to that question where when are things going to get normal, he said that, you know, we're going to have to wait at least a couple of weeks where numbers are going, you know, new cases, I guess, are decreasing significantly until we should even think about pulling back regulations. And I feel like that's a lot of doom and gloom, but yeah, you know, something else was kind of doom and gloom that I uh-huh. thought of is uh, it was, I think it was in Sunday's Oklahoma and, uh, and this was a quote from Dr. Shrum and a story by Chris Castile. And I think he was writing about this idea that we could see hospital capacities exceeded right. here pretty soon. She said, you know, the reality is going to be, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the reality is going to be that when this is all said and done, everyone's going to know someone or at least know someone who knows someone that's, that's died because of this. Mm-hmm. And it just really was kind of a, a sobering quote in my mind, just, you know, that this is going to be something that impacts us all, you know, puts more onus on why it's important for us to kind of take these, uh, these, these stay at home orders and social distancing orders uh, seriously. Right, right. Yeah. And that I, I, I read that story and I remember that quote standing out to me too because it is so sobering and almost makes you feel, you know, a sense of dread. But, you know, at the same time I you know, we talk about getting doom and gloom, but I do think it's important, like you said, to keep, you know, pushing these messages of how important it is to, you know, take this seriously and try to mitigate it the yeah. best you can by doing your small part by, you know, staying home washing your hands, going to the grocery store only once per week. Yeah. Stuff like that. And I do think it's important to note, and we've talked about this, um, mm-hmm. kind of the, I don't know if you want to say evolution of, of Governor Stitt on this issue, you know, going from getting a lot of criticism for going to a packed restaurant and tweeting about it to, you know, eventually coming to the safer at home order for the entire state and maybe shelter in place, with, which was not language he used, but only focusing on counties with cases. I mean, obviously there are people who's, mm-hmm. who thought that didn't go far enough. There's been health officials that have written letters and released them publicly. The Democrats in the legislature yesterday were, were trying to put more pressure on Stitt. So there are plenty of people who think he should go further. But right. I do think it's also worth noting, and, and this was the case in the video he released Monday, is he continues to you know, plead with Oklahomans to take this seriously. And in an era where we're not always seeing that consistent message from government leaders, and I suppose I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking mostly of the president who's, who's who in his own style has kind of, you know, gone yeah. back and forth on this. It's, it is important to have a consistent message, even if we mm-hmm. don't all, all agree with the, the action he's taking. Um, it is important that we've got, you know, a governor and, and mayors of our biggest cities that are, are continuing to regularly tell citizens, you got to take this seriously and you got to heed our warning. 
Right, right. And like you said, there's kind of a split feeling on that, but it has been pretty consistent. And, you know, I'm wondering, I, I have actually seen, um, so the Frontier, we have a Facebook group mm-hmm. for, it's called COVID-19 News, um, Oklahoma News. And I have seen a lot of people kind of come around as more mayors and I guess the governor issue, uh, you know, more restrictions. I've seen people kind of come around and start taking it more seriously. And I think uh, last night I uh, tweeted out, there's this sheriff, he's in a rural area, he's in Choctaw County, and he tweeted out, and I think this says a lot, you know, just about the rural areas kind of taking this seriously too now. But he said, he, he types in all caps, <laughs> he's older, but he, uh, he typed out, you know, the time has come to, quote, get your head out of your butt and stay home <laughs> away from one another. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's starting to be that stronger message that this is serious, even from those, you know, more rural areas. And, you know, and as we've heard, I mean, we're not going to see police going door to door, you know, breaking up big crowds at parks. I mean, maybe we'll see some that go talk. And we have seen some citations in Tulsa with some bars that have stayed open. But, you know, Mayor Holt over the weekend, uh, Saturday, he released a video saying, you know, if you're waiting for the for soldiers to come to, your, you know, tell you to stop, that's, that's not going to happen. You know, you, mm-hmm. you know he's, I think his quote was, you know, I've got a pin. I don't have an army here. And so a lot of this is still dependent on residents taking this seriously and and taking it in their own hands to to practice this and and so it is kind of important that you continue to hear leaders say this is serious and we need to take this seriously and to kind of revisit newkirk for a moment i mean i'm talking about Mm -hmm. it because that's the town i went to and reported on you know i even noticed on facebook the the mayor of newkirk newkirk has used language that he wasn't using a couple of weeks ago when he was saying, I'm not going to shut the city down. I, I, you know, I, I think this might be overblown. Um, right. You know, he was saying this is serious and we need to help out people who are in need. And I don't know where I haven't followed back up with him. I don't know mm-hmm. how he got to that point, but maybe it was the governor coming around. I and mean, we definitely saw some city leaders, especially in rural areas who were like, I'm taking my lead from the governor. If he says we shouldn't close, I'm not going to close. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's now gotten to that point. Yeah. Do you think, you know, because you were talking about the rural areas, and I think, you know, a while ago on the podcast, you you kind of said that some mayors and officials are kind of taking the approach where they're just hoping people in good faith will follow these recommendations and not, you know, and hopefully they won't have to get the law involved. Do you still think it's kind of headed that way? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I don't, that would be a major change, I think, to see, mm-hmm. you know, law enforcement really cracking down. I mean, they, they can write citations. And like I, like mm-hmm. I said, they, it seems like they have for some businesses. And I don't, uh, I often reference the park that I live right by because I have a view right. of it and, and, I'm, and I'm there every day. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there there was a group of people playing basketball yesterday. I mean, 10, 15, 20 people and, and the wow. same number on the soccer field. And, you know, I, we've been encouraged to go outside and walk and enjoy fresh air. So, so for many of us who are using the walking path, I mean, we we separate when we get close to someone, but to mm-hmm. see these big groups, I often wonder is, are we going to see a police officer stop by and at the very least say, Hey guys, it's probably smart that you don't do this. They did put mm-hmm. yellow caution tape around the playground equipment, but yesterday that had all been torn down. I mean, so mm-hmm. people were play- I mean, really, so, you know, I don't know if we're going to get to that point. Um, we may, I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to imagine, but where we're at now was kind of hard to imagine a couple weeks ago, I suppose. 
but right. uh, but yeah, I mean, but then on the same time, you see law enforcement really trying to to continue to tell people we are not going to be arresting people and writing a bunch of tickets. In mm -hmm. fact, Tulsa Police Department put out a video today um, where a police officer pulled someone over. It, this is all staged, but he pulled someone right. over and then asked the driver for his license and his essential employer papers or something. And the mm -hmm. guy said, is that something I really have to provide? And then the police officer turns to the camera and says, no, you don't. This is, <laughs> please help us spread the words that we're not asking for essential Mm -hmm. worker papers or whatever it might be. I thought it was odd right. that in a video to try to dispel that myth, they started by doing it, but whatever. That's besides, yeah. <laughs> besides the point. But, <laughs> right. but it does seem like, you know, mayors and law enforcement continue to try to say, take this seriously, but mm -hmm. we're not coming around forcing you into this. And, and maybe that's a, a, you know, a uniquely Oklahoma message. I mean, there's definitely parts of this state, I'm, I'm sure, and, and we're not un alone in this, but if the mm -hmm. government was telling them to do something, they would probably do the opposite, right? And so right. you probably have to yeah. tread a little lighter in some of those situations, I guess. That is kind of the Oklahoma way, though, like a little bit. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a, you know, it's a bad thing, but it's even in Tulsa, I see it. You know, people just aren't, you know, and I, I get it, but people aren't super excited about the idea of the government, you know, restricting what they can do. So I, I do kind of think that, you know, at least so far, um, officials are just hoping that people will abide by the rules and do their part. And hopefully, you know, themselves, you know, you'd think people would want to mitigate the spread yeah. a little bit. But when I think we've seen this from from Stitt and Mayor Bynum, Mayor Holt and others that in other places where maybe law where government officials have been more forceful, like, you know, this is serious, take it serious. You need to get inside mm -hmm. almost shaming people to do it uh, here. It no, maybe knowing that strategy doesn't work as well in some parts of the state, the mm -hmm. strategy that maybe does well is trying to appeal to people's sense of Oklahoma is a place where we care for others. And, and whether that's true compared more true here than compared to other States, whatever. But, that is something that we, as a part of our psyche, is that we look out for each other or the Oklahoma standard or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And I have seen government officials try to kind of appeal to that sense. Instead of saying, you know, you're acting foolish, this is dangerous, mm -hmm. heed our word. They're saying, hey, this is a way for you to care for your neighbor. You know, the mayor, Mayor Holt has said, you know, empty city, full hearts. Maybe a cheesy line, but it's, I think it also is effective probably too, to say if you care about your city, um, you, we need, you know, you shut it down. Right. And I, I, I feel like that's a, you know, that's not a bad way to approach it. Cause I do think that appeals to a lot of people, you know, like you were saying, like, Hey, you know, let's do the Oklahoma thing. Let's be smart. Let's stop, you know, let's try to stop this. So we don't have to be self, you know, social distancing two months from now. Yeah, yeah, it I takes agree. action now to, to avoid it in the future, whatever that whatever that ends up being. Well, um, Cassie, before we wrap up here, there was some other news on Monday that you wrote about. Uh, now, you reported last week that Governor Stitt said that his suspension of non-essential medical procedures was going to include abortion. So, in effect, Governor mm -hmm. Stitt has suspended, has ended abortions for, for a couple of weeks. And uh, we wondered if he was going to be sued because of that action. And on Monday, he was. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
a lot of people, you know, I wasn't really surprised by this just because Texas tried to do something similar and they got sued last week. So, yeah, so state and national abortion rights groups and providers, they uh, announced a lawsuit this evening, uh, Monday, you know. So what they're doing is they're seeking a temporary restraining order. So they're trying to stop, you know, the state from enforcing the governor's order while it's in effect. And then eventually they're trying to seek a permanent injection to stop it. So um, basically the lawsuit argues Oklahoma's order effectively bans abortion care in the state um, until this uh, order expires. And I just got a a statement from the attorney general's office and they're going to be representing the state in this lawsuit, uh, apparently. So basically they're saying the lawsuit is demanding an exception to prioritize abortion over all other health care in the midst of this COVID-19 um, pandemic and that attacks the governor's executive order and that, you know, they're trying to reserve this protective gear for healthcare providers and they're trying to save the hospital beds um, for COVID-19 patients. But I will note that most um, abortions are done at an outpatient basis. Uh, all right, Cassie, uh, did you have a, from abortion to this, what, uh, did you have a, did you have a good, good moment of the day? It was rainy. I, I wasn't able to get outside. So what, yeah, what not got? a whole lot of outside time, but um, one thing I will say is, you know, just because I've been inside so much and I haven't been able to go, you know, work out really or go to the gym or anything. I have had a lot of time to cook, mm. which is nice. And I'm trying to get, and I know a lot of people are doing this right now, but I'm trying to get back into making bread. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's something that's been kind of fun and relaxing, uh, during this time. How, so have you, have you baked a loaf yet or? No, I'm actually planning on, there's this overnight pizza dough recipe mm. I plan on starting when we get off this call that needs like 24 hours to set. And I've never been patient enough to do it, but now I'm like, you know, there's, there's really nothing else to do. So yeah. I have nothing but time. No, that's a, that's yeah. a good one. I like baking bread. I only bake really one kind. My great grandmother um, had a sourdough recipe that was pretty famous in our family. And then my grand, and then she passed the starter down to my grandma and then my grand grandmother has given me part of that starter, so that's what I I use the same starter that my great grandmother has for. Oh, that's so cool. Um, I don't know, maybe a hundred years. I'm not I'm not sure. So that um, must be really good bread. Oh, that's that's really cool. What's what was your moment for the day? You know, I enjoyed. Uh, it involved you. We had a we had a staff meeting on Zoom today. I guess we're finally catching up because everybody else has been zooming it. Yeah. Zooming it up for the last couple of weeks, but. Uh, we had a staff meeting on Zoom. It was kind of nice to see everyone's face and kind of feel connected to the to the team. I mean, I always kind of feel yeah, distant because I'm, you know, you guys are in Tulsa and Brianna's down in Norman. I'm the only one in mm -hmm. Oklahoma City. But uh, I don't know. That was that was kind of a, a bright spot in the day to be able to kind of connect with each other. That was. I missed that sense of, you know, I know we, we text all day, but it's just it's not the same as having everyone in one place and you know, being able to bounce story ideas off each other and just kind of, you know, just like non-work talk. It's, it was a nice, nice change. Well, right. uh, Cassie, thanks for your time today. I guess I will talk to you tomorrow. You have a good evening.
Yeah, you too. Talk to you tomorrow. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, then do us a favor by sharing it on social media, giving us a rating, or, or telling a friend. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you on Wednesday.